Hi, this is Genevieve Fears of Entertainment, the one-stop shop for creating and fostering community in Web3 film. And this is Edge of NFT, the podcasting community movement that everyone cool is a part of. Keep listening. Hi, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and learn how entertainment is revolutionizing fan creator connections in film with their Web 2.5 bridge. Plus, how today's guest truly feels about the joy of baking a cake. Finally, discover how Network is using Unreal Engine 5 to bring customizable NFT avatars to the metaverse. All this and more on today's episode. And before we get started, don't forget that our Edge of NFT Outer Edge LA event recently returned to Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. You can now catch up on all the discussions, presentations, and more by heading over to watch.outeredge.live and registering with only your email address. Then you'll have access to over 60 captivating conversations and performances. Binge watchers are welcome. See you inside. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Genevieve Thiers, the accomplished CEO of entertainment.com. It's leading the way in the world of Web3 for independent creators through collaborative storytelling. With impressive track record as a tech founder, most notably with SitterCity.com, which served millions of users and raised substantial capital before its acquisition, Thiers brings her entrepreneurial spirit to the creative realm. She has penned numerous screenplays and theatrical plays, including her renowned TV project, Run the Series, currently available on Amazon Prime. Moreover, she hosts the insightful crypto podcast, Bite Size Crypto, available on Spotify and is an active investor in creative projects across multiple platforms. Thiers and her companies have earned recognition from numerous media outlets, including notable appearances on The Today Show, The View, Allen, and The CBS Early Show, as well as features in publications such as The Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Marie Claire. This recognition extends to over 20 major awards, among them the prestigious Inc. 500 list twice, the SBA Small Business Young Entrepreneur of the Year awarded in the White House in 2006, the CEC Momentum Award, and the WBDC Rising Star Award. At the heart of entertainment.com is a unique vision to revolutionize the traditional streaming model by fostering a collaborative community around indie content. This innovative marketplace empowers creators to connect directly with fans, enabling collective world building and the co-creation of new, exciting projects. Genevieve, welcome to Edge of NFT. Hi, what a bio. I forgot that I wrote all that down somewhere. It kind of makes me seem insane. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's missing a couple things. One, for, for those that home that weren't part of the VIP party, Genevieve also has a very operatic voice that she can bring out when needed to hush a crowd and, and get some attention. Yeah, my original trainings opera, actually, I meant to go into it and it never works out, right? So I didn't want to wait tables and fell into tech. And now, yeah, it's been wild, everyone. Yeah, I mean, opera is definitely a niche market 
like Web3, but I think Web3 has a lot more flexibility, let's say, with where you can go with things. Hey, listen, it seems to have about the same amount of drama or more. So we've got that. <laughs> more. And I'm the least amount of diva I've ever met, especially in Web3. It's funny. In my life, I'm really lucky. I mean, Sitter City did great. We raised 56 million, served 10 million users, thousands of companies. And then we sold you know, to Bright Horizons in 2020. So that went well. But I actually got to sing after that. I did get to do some leading roles at Carnegie Hall and Chicago Lyric Opera and sang with Renee Fleming and Thomas Hampson. I honestly thought I was going to stay there, right? I was just going to stay there. That's kind of, I'm still wondering how I ended up back in tech. Web3 is fascinating, but I'm still wondering how I ended up back here. <laughs> in a good way, I guess. I think we've all had these uh, very interesting journeys that brought us to Web3. And my background is food technology. How did I end up here? I don't know. But I think at the end of the day, like that was about co-creating too with with chefs and restaurants and consumers. And, and I think that Web3 has this fascinating ability to sort of allow people to see possibilities that they don't otherwise see and sort of converge technology. And you guys are building something so cool at entertainment, this like Web3 one-stop shop for cultivating a thriving community around indie content. And like, I think there's this independent sort of cowboy-esque component, cowgirl too, component to Web3, and it fits that vibe. You started to kind of get us there, but how did this happen? How do we go from entertainment mogul to uh, Broadway performer to this initiative? Yes, I'm still wondering. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay, so just kind of careen from thing to thing. Like, you ended up, you know, first building Sitter City and then forming now back here. There's a through line, though, which is basically that I'm very much a disruptor. I like to blow things up. It's funny. A lot of people look at Sitter City and they think I must be knitting baby hats in my spare time. And no, I live in a hard hat. I like to really detonate things and blow them up and build bridges over, you know, the carnage to the new thing. I didn't know I was an entrepreneur, but I'm probably most set in this role. I mean, loving the creative sides of things and that's accentuated stuff, but I enjoy disruption. I really do. So yeah, here's how I got into Web3. I ended up after Sitter City, you know, we sold to Bright Horizons, Fortune 500. I was like, yay, you know, like again, never thought I was going back to tech, straight shot out of tech. But I ended up singing opera, performing. I've written some screenplays and stuff. So I ended up doing some TV work. Some of that was just investing in a film Bill Macy did, or, you know, I just bopped around. And one of those things was a show called Run the Series, which was really great. We were running around and won a million awards, shot a beautiful pilot, three women producers. We actually had this great Queer Eye style where we were helping women run for office and win. And, you know, I was the tech trainer on the show, but it was like really a good show. We had 50,000 plus fans and we ended up running it in 2019 through the festival circuit, got one of the co-founders of MTV as an agent, right? We were doing everything right. And I was like, yay, you know? I can be a creator. And you see where this is going, I'm sure. We ended up in the offices of Lifetime, television for women, right before the pandemic. And we basically got about 10 minutes into the pitch and we're told, hey, this would be great if it were quirkier. What if it were strippers running for office? And I thought... Well, no, like, I just don't think so. And so it became this bizarre moment in my life where I thought, oh, no, this world's a mess, too. Like, you think you've cleaned up one mess. 
I gotta say though, like the bizarreness of that statement 10 years ago would be exponentially higher than today. Like now I'm just like, yeah, that could happen. <laughs> well, Stormy Daniels should run. She has my vote. But it's like, I mean, seriously, though, when you're we're sitting there like presenting this show of fascinating women, one's an astronaut, one's of this, one's of that. You don't say that. I'm sorry. Another person in the room questioned whether women should be in power at all. And I was like, you guys are idiots. We're going to go and remake this. Right. So anyway, I had a stoner cat around that time. I was so involved in Kaya Dita and Project Iceman and some of these awesome, amazing projects where you could buy the NFT and then you're in the writer's room and then you can cast your character in the animated series as the best friend and name it and dress it. I just thought, wow, this is beautiful. I think I can build out the Web 2.5 bridge to kind of translate this to the world and bring them over that bridge into Web 3 because about 84% of people just have no idea what we're talking about, don't have a wallet. And they're on this traditional path, which is really quite dark right now for creators. Yeah, really cool. And even just you describing how this all got started is reflective of the bio and all the kind of different things that come in here and there and the craziness of it all, which clearly you crave, but not, you know, <laughs> I'm sure Josh and I and Richard can identify with this falling into things. You ask yourself how you got here and you go, well, I guess I know how I got here. It's, it's kind of what I'm into. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So really cool stuff. And we'll come up with the title for the Sam Bankman-Fried Downfall Opera sometime within this episode. I think that would be a very interesting one. Yeah, it'll be like the Jerry Springer opera, just with more hair. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you guys have really been around this thing, which you've seen quite a bit in Web3 of around empowering creators, as you mentioned and talked about a little bit. Can you talk about how the entertainment ecosystem operates and the impact on the creative community? Yeah. And I'll talk first about the problem and then how were the solutions. So you all see the writer's strike going on right now. Like It's just there is wild stuff going on and has been for a while in the streaming world. So last year, a lot of us probably remember right before Terra Luna depegged, Netflix took a stock hit. It was a pretty sizable stock hit. And up until that point, all the way through the pandemic, all five of the top streamers were just bashing away at each other with spending to try and really rule this model. And the spending was quite outsized, frankly, compared to what was coming in, but they were just swinging for the fences, right? So traditionally, creators have had a hard time ever getting their work past Twitch, TikTok, and YouTube into anything more. And it got even worse last year when the stock hit happened because a lot of these streamers started just cutting off their spending entirely and doing almost their own stuff. So traditionally, before last year, only 6% of films or series or any kind of long-form video ever got any meaningful distribution. When I say meaningful, it could just mean like Tubi or Pluto or something like that less than 1.2% ever ended up on a big five streamer, which is HBO, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, and Disney+. Plus. So yeah, it's a rough world. It got worse last year. Now you're seeing games like, oh, you know, we're not spending anymore. We're doing our own stuff. Or shows are going up for a week in vanishing. <laughs> so like they'll go up and then the network wants to avoid paying residuals or they, they want to get tax credit. And then the show vanishes forever, literally forever. It's a nightmare. Creators are really tired. They're tired of if they even make it into the, now it's like 0.8%, right? That make it on a big five. They're offered basically break even or sometimes paying, right? To get their show on the air. 
they're thrown off their own sets. They're living with the acts of being canceled. Fans are sick too. You know, they don't have any power. We're just eyeballs, right? So it's like something has got to give. And what I was seeing and what I think we all see is that if you take this top-down model, right, this siloed model where like eight people, and as we can see from my experience, they're not that smart sometimes, eight people decide what we're watching, right? If we flip that entire model and just allow the creator to go direct to fan, obviously the fan can vote with their eyeballs and their wallets on what they want. And so it's exciting. It's a good thing. Entertainment does that and does it using some of the best of what we've seen these previous creators, again, Kayadita, Stoner Cats, best of what we've seen them do, but we've taken it a lot further as well and added our own innovations on top. It's extremely cool. And I think it's awesome that you're kind of breaking down what's the main challenge for a lot of your end consumer. I know for me, when I saw that the writers had gone on strike, I have a friend who is a sound producer and basically let me know like, hey, this is probably happening soon. So I'm personally getting ready for this. But for your end people who are watching, consuming all this content via Netflix, everything else, they don't necessarily get to know how much of a struggle it is to get to the point to where it's actually at production and, and what's being fought for and the strength of being able to have something like entertainment. So You spoke at our event. You started to tell us about not only these challenges, but what you're doing in this industry. And so we're anticipating the launch of entertainment. So could you share some expected timeline, what people can expect with this and just dive into that a little bit more? So we're in beta and we've raised about 1.5 million. We're moving obviously towards from a pre-seed to a seed. So here's how we work. When you go to entertainment, M-I-N-T.com, it looks very Netflixian. You know, it looks very much like Netflix. There's a streamer. You can take a look at stream any of our content. We also have distribution. We can help you get your show on Tubi Little. But what's different is the very beginning of our process, the project tab. So when you click into the project tab, you'll basically see a whole bunch of shows that have tickets associated with them. Now, these tickets on the back end are utility NFTs, right? that allow you into the show in some way, but we call them tickets. We use very 2.5 language. And these tickets might allow you to be an extra in a crowd scene, right? CGI you in if you're across the country, whatever. You can be an extra in a crowd scene. Or you can join the writer's room and vote on the arc of an episode or a character. Or you can be a co-producer, right? And the creator sets the parameters. So that might just be like two cast meetings and a team photo. I mean, You set the parameters as the creator, but the exciting thing is that we take it all the way through on a co-creation aspect. So unlike Kickstarter and Indiegogo, where you basically just buy the ticket and you're like in the credits and you get a t-shirt, we go all the way through and attach a royalty to what you do. So it's pure co-creation. So you might, for your $75 ticket to be an extra in a crowd scene, receive over the next three years 0.2% of residuals. Since we have all your wallets, it happens instantaneously. We're breaking the wall between creator and fan. This, I think, is a wild disruption. It's going to take a while to get this one through because that wall between creator and fan has traditionally been inviolate. You do not screw with that wall. But to be honest, I think we need to screw with that wall because it's way too high, right? 
If you let fans in, even for levels of very light co-creation, it acts almost like a brilliant kind of pre-sales where you can raise anywhere from 20 to 50% of your funding off the bat. You retain control and you're making the majority of what comes in. So yeah, basically the way that we work is our creators sell tickets into the making of their work with a residual on the end. The entire thing soup to nuts happens through entertainment. Once you've done the work, be it a pilot or a series, you can drop it on our streamer, but we'll help you drop it on 10 more, right? And even into a metaverse. We've redesigned the whole process, right? But started deeper than anywhere that Netflix or Hulu or any of those have started. We have gone to the source of let's make a show together and tried to break that wall there so that it's not such a high barrier to get in. Just a quick clarification. When you say drop it into a streamer. Are you referring to like a Netflix? I mean, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Yeah. Yeah. There's about 120 streamers out there. So if you go to like a film hub or a quiver model, right, you have a piece of content you want to show. There's the well-known big five, but then there's also 2B, Pluto, Roku, you know, all the other streamers that you could theoretically want to stream on. Your average creator streams on four to six streamers within five years of releasing their content. Today's world, it used to be that you would stream on one, like you were a Hulu show and then you were gone. Now, the name of the game is surface area. You want to stream on as many streamers as you possibly can. You also, these days, because we're on the bridge to the metaverse, you want to have as many extensions of your IP as you possibly can. So you want to have your show with an NFT drop, possible game and development, AR, VR extension, right? You want all that going on as well as being on six streamers. So... I think that the main thing I would say is that this is a big play. When I say we, it's me and my three co-founders. We all tend to have like a formula for how we do our builds. We do two-sided marketplaces in areas that have extreme pain, like they're very badly built right now. And what we do is we go in and we do a mass pivot. So 10 years of my life before was spent at Sitter City convincing moms it was safer to go online to find a caregiver than to use the girl next door. We did that. There's 76 copies of us around the world now. Now, moving forwards, we can do it again. And this time it's about break the wall or lower the wall between creators and fans and let fans in. And if you do, more power to you, more funding to you. It's a good situation. Yeah, it's really cool. And this is definitely a trend that we're excited about. And by the way, I mean, there's a lot of similarity in terms of the direction that you're describing and the the sort of origins of podcasting, right? You create a podcast and then you stream it everywhere. We're on Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify, the other services, well, Stitcher, they're all available to our content. And now, actually, this might be one of our first shows on Sling TV. So you might not have realized that, but... Oh, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So... Thanks to our partnership with Defiance Media, you can now see our content on Sling TV. So we're really excited about that. I think that's awesome. And everybody is starting to understand the distribution game is quite a big game. There's a reason that A16Z just dropped millions into Film Hub, right? With Quiver following fast behind. I mean, that's just a piece of what we're doing. But you have to go, I find, in this kind of a build... You can't just fix a little piece. You got to go all the way down the chain. And I love that there's all these incredible projects out there, like being able to jump from Red 8 Family to Stoner Cats to whatever. 
But in the end, most of the world is going to need an aggregator, like the secondary movers. They're going to need somewhere to go that looks a little bit like something that they understand just with a twist. And so that's what we're offering. That's what Sitter City was too, is match.com for parents caregivers. We're just taking this model. We're a little bit more of like an Amazon of content, right? So like when we launched our beta, we have about 12 shows and those are going great. But our next steps in our launch are we're releasing token gating next week. So you'll be able to do pay-per-view slap like cost on watching a video, or you can do full live streaming premieres through our site and you can put a ticket on that too. Then we're opening the doors to creators to bring them in. And we've got all sorts of coalition partners and six festivals, 10 studios, right, that are all starting to come in. But that's leading into what we're launching in the fall, which is our channel partnerships. So studios and festivals, influencers can have channels on entertainment and they can just follow all the way down the chain, the revenue chain as creators from their channel go through it. As long as everyone has the wallets, 300 transactions can happen in a minute. It's just really, really easy. We just need to hook it all in quickly and put the percentages in. So yeah, I mean, I think by fall of next year, we'll have a hundred channels and they'll all be overlaid over entertainment, you know, kind of like an aggregated Netflix model. On top of all of that, we'll help you with a place to park your content and then distro. But this aggregated streamer thing, everyone's like, oh, they think we're acting like Netflix. Like it's our job to go get the next Mrs. Maisel. No, I would rather have 40 different newbie producers that each have 20 excited family members. <laughs> I would rather have them because that's what our model is doing. It's flattening everything. And it's part of the beauty of Web3, right? You flip the whole thing on its head and then we'll grow from there into big IP. Yeah. And that's not like the only thing you're flipping on his head. The other element of this is this collaborative storytelling, which we started to talk about. And we've had shows with proponents of this, like Seth Green and Strauss, both also pioneering in this way. And it's a really exciting trend that has been sort of forward thought in the Web3 space. I mean, Neil actually co-published one of his books about aliens at some point. And, you know, you look at what Jenkins of LA did. And so there's sort of this progress in this area that we see, and we talked about at Outer Edge, and you guys are doing some major pioneering in this area as well. Could you delve into the nuances of this emerging trend a little bit more and maybe what your perspective is on the significance? Of course. Well, we'll see. I can talk a little bit about our lens on everything because I am in awe of most Web3 creators. Like, I will tell you that we were at CES this year handing out like a 70 page report about the space we're in, right? This video creator economy space. And there's a lot of different players, a lot of them. I would say there's at least 40 that we've counted and we've been charting right now. But a lot of them are really sophisticated. They did tokenomics and so they are sitting on 2.2 million or they're a DAO or, I mean, that's all wonderful. What I will say is that I know we can be the bridge. And I know that the bridge is important. And we're a Web 2 team. We understand a bridge. We love Web 3. We're in it. But I can't build a chain. I can't build. A, I can't do any of that stuff. And so, like, I think our place is here 
doing translation and bridging people in. So for that reason, you'll see when you come to our site, you can join our site with an email. We use paper.io and magic.xyz on the back end. So you can join with an email. We make you an invisible wallet. Then you can pay with a credit card, right? You don't need to do wallet connect for any of this or have a wallet, frankly. We use all vernacular language that people would understand. For the royalty payouts, we say vouchers. For the initial buy-in, right? We say tickets. So there's a way to do this that we can do living here in 2023 that I think makes a lot of sense to the 20 years I have in building tech. But I'll say that I have great admiration as well for the other group of Web3 players I know of, most of whom are living in 2040. (laughs) I don't quite understand everything they're talking about, but I do know that somebody's got to bridge everyone into all of that. And right now it's too bifurcated. And the money that was there in Web3 to get because Bitcoin having that money right now, it's pretty much been spent. So let's bridge everyone else in and stop playing in one little sandpit. Let's get everyone in the game is my theory. I love it. Cool. As we continue to get the kind of co-creators involved and the fans involved, can you share you know, how you're actually facilitating the dynamic interaction there? And as we do that, where do you see the transformations occurring here in the near future? Like any sort of things within your vision or foresight where you say, yeah, hey, once we get this groundwork going, this is the kind of thing I think we'll see in five years. Yeah. Well, two-sided marketplaces are very hard. They're all about balance. Luckily, we're good at that. That's the other thing we've done for 20 years. So (laughs) with Sitter City, what I would do is I would show up with a backpack, right? Flyer, six colleges in Boston. Then I would go find a mother's group, snap them together, right? So you have 400 sitters and you get 20 moms and bam, the thing just started to blow up. I mean, it was a network effect. This is the same thing. So we got to get the creator faucet turned on right before we can turn on the other side, the faucet for the fans. But everything has to be like slowly zhuzhed up together in the beginning. Plus, we also have welcomed both creators out of Web 2 and Web 3, right? So our very first creator was Grace Ng. She had this beautiful collection on the Bitcoin stacks chain called Crash Punks. And she said, my users, they want something to do with these characters. So we raised 27,000. She sold 79 NFTs in five layers, and she made this beautiful animated short on her site. So we're not discriminating either if you come from Web 3 or Web 2. Most of what you'll see is more traditional content on entertainment, but we're not discriminating there either. So you really have to set up wide in the beginning and then slowly like fill both sides of the tank so that neither side just leaves you. So the creators are coming in first. Last year, we deployed over 150K in development grants to bring them in. We have eight great projects. One of them got over the line yesterday, Fairytale Fallout, raised for its finished its race for season two. I mean, it's happening. It's exciting. We sold over 100 tickets in two months, right? And over 25K, it's working. It's just small. I would say that everything has to start somewhere. So while we are slowly working on this beta, we're prepping right now to open the doors to all creators with a Q&A process, of course, in July. At the same time, I just got off a coalitioning call with six festivals because they're part of the faucet that we're building with these channel partnerships that we're going to turn on. It's nonstop. I've got studios that we're meeting with next week. I mean, everything has to be prepped ahead of time. So you sort of just press the button, right? Now that's just the creator side. The fan side is a little bit different. The fan side is going to look a bit like Cameo. 
In fact, we've been working with some amazing people who have been associated with that team, just kind of on an advisory level. But I think there's this element of like, this is a great birthday gift, right? I mean, like, instead of just getting a happy birthday video from Jane Fonda, what if you're in the show with her? How cool is that, right? CGI'd in or a picture on the wall, or what if you're in the show with her? By the way, you haven't mentioned it, but of course, with AI developing nowadays, right, beyond even CGI, there's an amazing potential that's going to come in here to sort of be in things and like really probably looks very much like you without even showing up to a like a, a filming or anything. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, when you look at the writer's strike, it's halfway aimed at AI because like AI, sadly, is better than we think it is at making a story. You give it six episodes of The Simpsons, it can make a seventh. Now, I think that writers will still be needed. I am myself a screenwriter. We will still be needed to do the seeding of a world and teach the AI how to build the world out. But it's a different kind of a role. And so you've got half of the creators yelling at the AI on Rush, which I don't blame them. It's a bit terrifying. The other half of what they're yelling about, though, is this mistreatment from the standard industry as a whole. The streamers were supposed to make everything amazing for creators. They were supposed to make it all great. And that did not happen. (laughs) If anything, the opposite happened. And so the other half of the complaint is, oh my God, this is awful. You promised us something wonderful as the upstarts 15 years ago, Netflix and where is it? I was saying this, we had a panel at South by, but we're the new upstart and we're going to do our best as creators to make something that's a bit fairer and we'll get parts right and parts wrong, I guess. But you can't go small with this kind of thing. You really have to go quite big. You definitely do. And at the top of this conversation, we talked about the commitment towards empowering creators and you've really been quadrupling down on that through the course of this conversation between having your $150,000 grants that people go and apply for and having other great ways to onboard both your creators and then those really cool experiences for the fans as well. And so having that two-sided element of bringing this all together, I think it's going to be very cohesive and empowering for everyone involved. But you've kind of been mentioning it. You've been talking through a lot of really cool things that are on the horizon. But what are some other things within the roadmap that you think people should be excited for, whether it's some partnerships or some really cool artists that are coming on or some other really cool features that are coming out, just to tease a little bit of those? Oh, I wish I could tease three right now, but we can't. (laughs) So with Big IP, sometimes you end up under NDA and we are with three really big, two are very big Web3 properties. One is a very big IP from Web2. Let me say this, it's not quiet. I think everyone understands we're positioning big. We've done it before, right? That's helping a lot. And I think people understand that when the doors open, they're going to open pretty quickly, right? So I'm excited, frankly, for the floodgates of creators just to open in July. We've already trained 650 of them on opening a wallet. We've only served 12, right? So it's like, there's so much there. I just want to see the machine fire up. Does that make sense? I'm almost not worried about big IP. That's going to be fine. We'll get big IP. No big deal. That's the easy part. The hard part is this new machinery, right? And the fact that we're Ethereum-based and and we've got all this other stuff we've built in, it's still new. So Ethereum, by the way, gas fees are insane. I'm just going to say yesterday, it was $130 for me to like put a secondary mint live on our site, right? Just to do that through my wallet. 
but using magic.io and paper.xyz, I mean, that's hard too. I would say 16 out of 20 transactions work right now. About four don't because of chain congestion or some issue that hits and it stinks. You know, I remember this 20 years ago at beginning of web two, it can really be nasty at the beginning as everyone gets this new tech fired up and working together. So I am just excited mostly to see the machine fire up. Then all the fun frou-frou on the front of the packaging will be a blast, but I like machines. I'm really excited. This is a beautiful one. And got so many creators interested at this point and fans as well, you know, starting to come in that there's this like general seeding, right, of the property that I'm excited about. And then we'll start to work both sides into the right ratios. I, I hope that wasn't a boring answer, but I like machines. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, you're building a good one and understand with big tech and the types of partnerships that you're putting in place, you can't necessarily tease it all, but Building the machine takes a lot of work, as you were saying, and it takes being able to have these incremental milestones that are reached to get to that big payoff. And it sounds like you're taking those steps. So with doing that, though, I'm sure there's a ton of projects that kind of have your ear, like you said, with ETH and unfortunately the high gas. I'm sure there's other projects within the Web3 space that you're currently looking at. What are some of those projects that you're kind of monitoring right now in the space? Oh, sure. I mean, I was kind of blown away by the fabulous work that Atrium did around the new animated series for Nouns. That's very cool. We know Atrium. We think they're fabulous. They are, how do I say this, like a group of incredible graphic designers that have all gotten together that love to animate. And they work in everything from Unreal Engine on down. So that was really cool. Atrium is just a very good place for them to bring that. I also have been talking a lot with Virtue Animation, uh, watching the evolution there. I have tickets for Jenkins the Valet and StoryCo, and I'm watching all of it. If anything, I'd say, you know, the stuff I'm eyeing right now is I'm very interested in the immersive space. I've been fascinated by Adamverse, Adam McGillicuddy, and, and all that work he's doing with writers' rooms. And I've been jumping into them as fast as I can, like the different ones I've seen, be it like Hidden Ones or Story Loom. They're all really interesting. I'm not sure what that world is going to look like immediately in the short term before the metaverse is a thing. But it's very powerful. Everyone being able to make a character and control that character within the IP of all the other characters. I think that's the launch of metaverse worlds, right? These beautiful, immersive shows. But right now, again, there's this siloing problem where it's like if you don't happen to stumble over Jenkins the Valet, right? You're not really in the world, right? It's still these collections around just a particular NFT or world. I'm curious to see what does this look like when it really fires up around metaverse creation, where a writer's room can do something one day, and then the metaverse is made by the following week. How does that interactivity work? How exciting, right? Yeah, cool stuff. And clearly you're paying attention, right? It's great to hear someone who's got their head down clearly on their own project who has a lot of insight into what else is going on in the landscape. I just have to ask this last question because I think it'd be fascinating to kind of hear how things have gone for you. And then we'll get to quick hitters. So you have done, like you said this previously, right? And interestingly, you did start the sitter site, like just from nothing, right? From your own kind of trying to get a sitter, right? Am I correct? And that's how that started? 
Yeah, I was the sitter, actually, the whole time. Ah, you were the sitter. That's right. I was the sitter. I have twins now. They're 11. You can probably hear them in the background. They're absolutely insane today. So I'm sorry about that. But for the first 10 years of Sitter City, I was CEO. I ran it up over 10 million and then moved up to the board level because I wanted to perform a bit. I was sitter. (laughs) Talk about an ambitious babysitter. (laughs) I was. I was the queen of babysitting. And I actually went on the Today Show like five times with like Al Roker as their childcare expert at one point. I was just like, this is funny. I mean, a babysitting industry magnet, right? But like, it was. I like things that are ignored. I think for women particularly, our problems get ignored a lot. There was a whole issue I kept facing in the early days of Sitter City where first of all, I'm saying the web wouldn't work and we couldn't use the word .com. And I mean, just all this sound familiar. It's all, it's all nutty. But I also heard a lot. This is something women just figure out. Isn't this, women just figure this out. Go figure it out in the corner, right? That was fun because I was able to be like, oh, it's a billion dollar industry. <laughs> and then the idea, the fun of being able to show that to a whole bunch of people that are just idiots about it. That's fun. I enjoy that kind of crazy reveal. This one, I think this is a very different one. Actually, this company, Webtoon, was free. But you know what's similar is both creators and women can learn that if they can solve their own problem, there's a huge market to be served, right? I think, which is interesting. One question I had was, have you brought any of the same team forward that you utilized on the past project? And how much overlap has there been, if any, in terms of team members that you brought forward? I have. Same CTO. He's brilliant. Dan Ratner. He's actually, as well, the Obama 2012 campaign here. Really amazing credentials on the tech side. They were on like the cover of Time. That's why I mentioned that. So he came along. He's a part founder as well. And then we actually snapped on two more co-founders AJ Salmon and Mark Vedic. AJ Salmon, wizard at distribution, brought in all the relationships with Tubi and similar. And then Mark is an IP lawyer, has done eight movies. I mean, this team is is really good. And I would say this one feels different because it's an it truly is an army. I mean, that we're making. Web3 is really about building a wave or like a movement versus just building a solution. Sitter City was a solution. This is a movement, right? It's wild. And so it feels appropriate, right, to have 50 advisory board members and to have four co-founders. This one, the bigger it lines up and the more people running in the line, I mean, the more it feels right. So, I mean, I'm talking now to these studios and these festivals. If this works, it will be because millions of creators drive it forwards along with hundreds of studios, hundreds of festivals, It cannot work otherwise, but the pain is so great. I truly think it will work. You have questions about blockchain? Like, how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? (laughs) Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. 
if you're into those sorts of things. Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> so hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. Well, we could talk all day. I love hearing about all this stuff and your ambition and your ability to achieve. Let's dive into our quick hitter segment. This is going to be really fun. Edge Quick Hitters is a fun and quick way to get to know you a bit better. There's 10 questions. We're looking for just a short, single, or few word response, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. Are you ready? No, but okay. <laughs> Let's go. It's all about consent here, you know. All right. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Oh, I remember when I was six. Maybe it was deliberate. I shoplifted <laughs> Rainbow Bright Shampoo <laughs> A shop right in New Jersey. I was very little and my mom made me bring it back and apologize to this very confused cashier. And I remember just really wanting this shampoo so much. So, I mean, I didn't buy it, I guess, and I had to give it back, but I really liked that shampoo. Well, this is a story for another day, but I have to admit I did shoplift a Dave Brubeck CD from a Walmart at one point. We'll get into that story later <laughs> while we're sharing our shameful experiences. Number two, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Well, I was always a babysitter, but I do remember like things got more creative in college. I was really, really broke. At one point, I remember being in a jewelry shop and you know how they sell the coil of wire, right? That you can just string beads on. I got the coil of wire and was like, this is a nice bracelet. Just wrap the ends. So I ended up starting a bracelet company and selling like hundreds of those. Low <laughs> overhead. Perfect. Because I, love I it. thought that was really nice. And yeah, I just gave you like 5X on each one. There you go. Those are good returns. You weren't sure if you're an entrepreneur, but you're clearly an entrepreneur. I might be. It starts young, as we've learned with that question. What is the most recent thing you've purchased? Oh... Well, I need to get a new Apple Watch because I seem to have lost mine. It's driving me mad. Gosh, I guess otherwise it would have been like a Cadbury cream egg, I think, from like the Walgreens yesterday. Nice. 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 There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they probably had some lying around from Easter and they're still fresh. They last a while. I love a cream egg. Yes, I really do. Yeah, I've been reconciling my Aura Ring versus my Apple Watch. Like, which one do I wear? Do I wear both? How hyper aware of my own breathing and sleep do I really want to be? What is the most recent thing you sold? Oh, a ticket this morning, actually, a $500 ticket into one of our confessions, I think it was. I was just telling a friend about the project and they were like, whoa, and they love TV and film. So they bought a ticket to Yvette Vargas's confessions on entertainment. Very proud. We don't usually sell the 500s. The 50s and the 75s go really fast, as you can imagine. There you go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great job selling that. What would you consider your most prized possession? Everyone wants me, I'm sure to say my children. Although frankly, <laughs> I'm really feeling like if anyone would like to buy them, <laughs> please you don't own them, send in your you. offers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been a long day. No, my piano, whenever I learn a new opera role of which, I don't know, I just find it soothing to do that learning piece. I'll sit at it and I'll 
I'll learn something, whether or not I'm on stage with it. Sometimes I'll just learn stuff because I, I really want to learn it and sing it and look impressive. Uh, and then I sing it. It's never as impressive as I'd hoped. <laughs> My piano. Well, you're on the call here with a trained piano tuner. Oh, <laughs> well, all right. You're hired. Yeah, no, I'll talk more about pianos another day. <laughs> What's the next one, Richard? And I must say that one of my first loves was piano. So I understand where you're coming from. But if you could buy anything in the world right now, digital, physical service experience that is currently for sale, what would it be? I would buy five more developers. <laughs> Ideally, they'd know both React and JavaScript and can work within an environment that's already made. We have a great team, but it's too small. And post-FTX, the funding world's been weird. We'll be fine, but we kind of just opened our seed round this year just to tread water while we were building out the last pieces. But when the venture pitches start to go, I hope it happens fast because I've done this. I shouldn't have to do hundreds of these. I should have to do maybe like 40, right? At this point, I hope it's only that much. All right. Well, you got to think bigger here. You get five developers, but man, if you're going for Hiring wise, yeah, 50, I don't know, or some other staff. I'm sure you could go big if you want, but that's a modest request. I want them all. Next question. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Well, I have a very good survival instinct and they're going to need it. I uh, learned during the pandemic, I'm a bit of a prepper. Didn't really realize it, but apparently I'm also very soothed by a lot of things. You can tell I'm a bit of a manic kind of personality. I was very soothed by counting the food, which got a little nuts when I started counting like the individual noodles. And my husband was like, okay, you know, you're done. <laughs> they figure how many days we can last in our bunker and whatnot. <laughs> uh, he's not great either. He keeps buying those straws that you can put into water and then like the purified water that comes out of the stream. None of us are okay over here right now. We're still recovering. <laughs> it's a tough world to live in. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Um, all right. Next question. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, it's the flip side of that, what would it be? Oh, well, you know, I, I would like to be happy, like baking a cake. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever happy baking a cake, right? but I do. I don't know. I guess it's because, you I'm, know, Genevieve, that's interesting that you say that you don't know if anyone's ever happy. They are. And that, I think that reflects that you would like that. <laughs> you would like to get rid of your ability to have to sit still to enjoy sitting still or something. Yes. Is that what you're talking about? I start baking a cake and it turns into a company. Like I have a problem with it. <laughs> no. it's a towering ambition that really needs to be curbed, to be frank. <laughs> yes, got it. That's awesome. All right. Well, besides baking a cake, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? My kid had his last two baby teeth removed, which was the first time we've had the application of laughing gas to one of our two 11-year-old twins. Oh, he was funny. I was videotaping him get some stuff for posterity. And he was funny. He was like drooling like chicken sauce out of the side of his mouth. That sounds like a new show in the making. What are you going to do next after the podcast? Probably pretend I'm working, but watch TikTok. If we're being honest, because I am tie tie. I've got to send one email that is going to go through a couple channels. And then I'm going to maybe give myself a little break. All right. And to wrap it all up, final question, your bonus question. What's your favorite content genre or your favorite all-time show in that genre? Oh, it's comedy. It's the only thing that's kept me alive this long. 
particularly vicious female comedy. Anything Tina Fey's ever written is for me. I adore her. But there's so many brilliant women creators out there. I'll just stop with her because if I get into the names, I'll just be talking for an hour. Very cool. Yeah, agreed. That's some good stuff. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. All right, guys, let's hit this next segment, a relatively new one, a sponsored one that's super fun, where we basically get to be the owners of a basketball team and live out our fantasies as having full control over a sports team and watching ourselves win the glory and everything like that, hopefully. Yeah, it's a lot more fun than watching a team at home not do what you want them to do and potentially even like lose or wreck themselves in the playoffs, not to get specific. A random team that shall remain nameless, yes. So so this is, yeah, a recurring segment. We own and manage our own Web3 digital basketball team. It's brought to us by Swoops. Swoops is a blockchain-powered basketball simulation game that allows users like you and me to own and operate a 100% unique team. There's real money contests that you can enter with your squads. You can win daily cash prizes. We just want to give folks a fun update on what's going on here. First of all, and probably most importantly, you got to mark your calendar. There is an SSN1 Mint coming up. Their SSN0 Mint sold out very quickly. And they've been posting about this on Twitter. So let's take a look here. And I'll share my screen on that one. And we'll take a look through that. Richard, tell us more about this Mint coming out. What's going on? So we got some really cool stuff. We're going to start with day one, which is on May 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Only the owners are going to have exclusive Mint for that day. And so the Swoops owner only are going to be able to Mint on day one. Day two is going to be the next day at 11 a.m. Eastern. And that's going to be 
an early mint day for pre-sale signups. So if you want to sign up for that pre-sale to be able to be a part of this mint, this is your chance. And then we look at day three and then you have the public mint that's at 11 a.m. Eastern time and any remaining supplies open to everyone. So in case they sell out, go ahead and try to, if you're not already an owner, try to get into that pre-sale and be a part of this mint. The Soups team has decided relatively recently to sweeten the deal here. So pay attention to this next part. This is this kind of second column here on this graphic on Twitter. So VEC and Swoop is a bonus. On day one and day two, there are a couple of limited edition players, which we're going to dive into discussing in a minute. But basically, they'll be randomly hidden among the day one and day two total mint supply. So by just getting simply getting involved, you could have a chance to score one of these really awesome players. And, and we'll explain what those are all about in a minute. And then also they added recently this six-man special. Also now instead of day one and day two, that's on day two and day three, which basically means if you max out and you buy five swoopsters on either of those days, you can get a sixth one for free. Now you must buy five during the same mint day to earn the free swoopster. But that basically means you could get a full two extra players just by minting out on both of those days. Good luck on that one. Of course, the price of these are just 0.05 ETH. There's 1,500 total supply. And there's some limitations on how many you can get per wallet. Day one is two per wallet. And day two and three is five per wallet in terms of what you mint personally. And those extras, of course, aren't included in the limitations. So let's check out those VEC and Swoop limited edition players and see what's going on. So these are kind of inspired by some of the amazing actual NBA draft picks. And the first one is Swoop Renderson. Josh, tell us about Swoop Renderson. Yeah, he is a hustler. He's got some longevity. He's very coachable. The sort of guy that you want around for a long time. And he's great at passing. This is a five-star guard. And this is the type of player that's going to make everyone else on the team that much better and kind of flow traffic throughout the court. Yeah. How about the next one? We've got Vector Wimbotiama. Yeah, he's strong in his two-point shooting. He's good at free throws. He's got some defensive rebounding games. So he's pretty well-rounded as well. His pass defense is off the charts at 75. He's playing the forward center position, and he's going to get there sort of in the paint and stop the action on the other side. And then he's going to also sort of deliver in the paint on the offensive side. So very well-rounded dude. Beautiful. Very exciting. They're both five-star players within their domains. So and very exciting stuff. Good luck to all those out there. And make sure that when you go to sign up, that you use your code edge of NFT to get into the possibility of getting these free players. Let's do a little bit of a check-in. We're actually naming one of our players. We've already named one of our players. We got Tron stocked in. We've chosen another one to put out there on the socials and get your input. So this was Swoopster868. We put the word out there and we gave a few options. So let's check in and how things are looking. We had our ideas, Chris Polytron, James Helium, Magic Eden Johnson. I did personally vote for Chris Polytron and that is by far our highest preferred name. Did you guys have, we're rooting for another one or are we on the same page here? You know, Magic Eden Johnson, I thought that was pretty clever personally, but Chris isn't a bad name either. It was a little too on the nose for me. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, <laughs> Magic. Johnson, just stick Eden. I don't know. It's not too obvious, but yeah, I gotta say, like everyone likes a little magic in their life. I was surprised that that one didn't get more love, but Chris Polytron, it's a solid name. I'm not complaining there. I think he fits into our sort of team energy pretty well with that name. 
Cool. Well, the die is cast. I don't know that we're going to get much more changes out of this before we close that out. So I think we can call it as Chris Polytron. So that's exciting. Hey guys, make sure you go out and sign up for that SSN1 pre-sale. You want to take on our squad, but you don't currently own a Swoopster. Hey, your chance to build a team is coming up. Swoop is introducing that brand new batch of players, that pre-sale event we just mentioned. Make sure you get your hands on one of those never before seen players. Go to playswoops.com forward slash referral forward slash edge of NFT and get in the mix. All right, let's hit this hot topic segment coming up here. Today's is a sponsored hot topic featuring Linus Chi of Network. Very exciting new project. Linus brings over 10 years of design, art direction, software development, business and finance experience to Network. Prior to his pursuits in art, he was a fund manager for a private entity, sharpening his skill set as a broker and leading to a deepened understanding of finance and market strategy. His financial experience, coupled with expert tutelage at the Gnomen School of VFX in Hollywood and Brainstorm School in California, he has been positioned as a thought leader in virtual reality and emerging markets, priming him and his team for bleeding-edge developments in the Web3 space. Linus, welcome to Edge of NFT. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. What's up, man? It's been a minute since we saw you at the Outer Edge. It was great to have you in LA sort of talking about all this exciting stuff happening in the world of of networking. Now, here we are. You got these like avatars coming up and and we'll get into that story a little bit more. But we love to sort of just start with a little bit of background. Um, This show has been all about sort of co-creation, the future of entertainment and gaming and the power of Web3. I know that's something you're so passionate about. Tell us about how Network sort of began and and how you guys got to this point. Oh, yeah, totally. So I met my partner, the co-founder of Network as well, Michael Catzelli. So back when I stopped working in the finance field, I started thinking, oh, what do I want to do, really want to do? I love movies. I love video games. I love entertainment. And I love art. So I always would have these video game concept art books, right? I just... It would just be a picture book for me, honestly, but I just have a whole collection of them just for my favorite games. So I thought maybe I'd jump back into what I did as a kid, which was like drawing and painting and things like that. So I found Nomen, the school in um, Hollywood, and they have basically this one-year entry-level program. Went there early for my first day, basically just signed up impulsively. Half an hour early, the first person I meet on campus was actually my partner of this project. Oh, nice. Fate. Yeah. He's a super charismatic guy. Instantly clicked. He started just, you know, telling me his whole life story. That's the kind of guy he is. So we're just chatting for like half an hour and talking about, you know, our love for like different games, different movies, and also different art as well. Like we both have our favorite artists and things like that. So we go through that whole program, right? And you learn so much about design and art and content creation tools like game engines and 3D software. So that's where our experience in this field really began. Before that, let me not take credit away from him. He's been doing different projects for longer than that, actually. So he's he's a little older than me. And he's been more of that entrepreneurial type. And he loves technology. And he loved virtual reality, right? So he's been off trying to start his own projects left and right. We went to school together. After a year, he went off again to start some sort of virtual reality project. I continued studying for the next three or four years and working in the industry. And then he messages me out of nowhere and he says, Hey, I have this idea of network. Come to my house and let's talk about it. So 
I go over and he tells me the idea. It was amazing. And this is way like years before metaverses and Facebook changed their name to Meta and crypto and NFTs were really even popular at all. And Mike already had this whole idea in his head, which was amazing, actually. And break that idea down for us. I mean, it seems like you guys have put in so much thought and time and passion into this project, but what exactly is Network? So our vision for Network at a high level is a way to transform the way people and brands connect and express themselves with each other and in a digital world. So more specifically, me and Mike have all this experience with content creation tools. We develop them for virtual reality. We develop mobile games and tools for that. So our thoughts is look at all these 3D softwares, all these creation engines out there. They're so hard for people to use, right? Like you need to learn to code. Even things like, even platforms like Roblox, you need to learn how to code. You need to be a 3D modeler, right? We want to make a creation engine where anyone without any technical background could create like amazing virtual experiences, and even games. So that's how it all started. And then with the coming of metaverses and things like that, you can see the real demand for people seeing that there's a huge opportunity of having this 3D digital presence, right? If you see games, even nowadays, like even first-person shooter games, like people are in there just talking to each other and like emoting and connecting in like ways the game wasn't really designed for, right? Specifically. Yeah, it's a powerful vision, man. And like, you know, we've talked a lot on the show about no code solutions for making blockchain more scalable and buildable. I mean, developers are expensive and precious and it's a lot of schooling and whatnot, education. But the idea from a creator perspective, from an end user to be able to sort of create their own destiny in the metaverse is such a powerful concept that you guys have leaned into. Pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah. And I honestly don't know all these metaverse projects out there. How are you going to populate a whole world, a whole universe, right? I feel it makes the most sense to make the tools so the community and users can populate that world, right? I mean, network, we are partnered with studios of like 1500 artists and things like that, but that's not what we want. We want to empower everyone else to sort of realize their imagination and not just on the art side, right? Like with Web3 and blockchain, there's so many things you could do for monetization or like, are you guys familiar with uh, projects like Second Life? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's where it all began, right? Exactly. So people were doing like services for each other and charging each other different things and being really creative with how they monetize whatever they did in that world. So with blockchain, you could literally do that. It's perfect, in my opinion. So tell us a little bit more about what you guys are releasing here. So they've got the network alpha releases and you've got this kind of social spaces and desert biome thing going. Can you tell us a little bit more about that stuff? Yeah, the alpha release, right? So the alpha is the first chance to sort of experience our world. You know, everything that our art team and design team has been building. We have a ton of landowners already that are excited and just waiting to build. So they get a little taste of that. They get a taste of our social systems that we've put in there. You know, they could come in and voice chat, text chat, and drive around and hit each other, just race and just have fun, basically. That's sort of the first step. With every experience we make, let's say there's this driving experience in the desert biome that we have. That will translate to the, our own creation engine in the future. So users themselves can create their own racing experience. Very cool. And I guess like if you're going to be in a dope metaverse, you have to have a dope avatar. And, and that's sort of going back to sort of the lore, the story behind network. We've got this 
archetype avatar sale coming up. What are the details? Yeah, so this avatar sale is highly inspired by Carl Jung. He has something like 12 archetypes that are used very frequently in things like entertainment and marketing. We're starting with three of them. And we're starting with the hero, the ruler, and the jester. And they look amazing. And they're generative 3D avatars that are instantly playable in Unreal Engine 5. I think we are the first metaverse project to ever do that, actually. So super exciting. And by the way, thanks to our trusty production team, you're seeing on video right now some of these avatars and what they look like. And if you're listening, jump to our YouTube channel and check out these bad boys because they are something very special. And Carl Jung, by the way, he's like a hip hop phenomenon or something, right? It was Carl Jung again. Is it? No, no, just (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) Okay. It's funny because it sounds like it could be, but no, yeah, Carl Jung is one of the godfathers of modern psychology theory and a huge player work with. Who's the big one? I can't think of his name. <laughs> the one. Right. Freud. Freud. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. I love the foundation there, like the strong kind of historical foundation of all of this. It makes a lot of sense. Well, thanks for giving us like, an overview of everything that's going on. It's, it's really exciting. Clearly put a lot of deep thought into the structure behind of it and how it fits into the larger ecosystem. So if people want to learn more about what's going on, where should they go online? I guess mainly our website, network.co. You can find our socials and everything else from there. Store.network.co will go straight to the avatar sale page. And you can see mint dates and things like that and those phases and how it's structured. Real quick, we're also having a giveaway with Travala. Travala adopted our token. So you can now purchase travel packages and fly around the world, stay in hotels and stuff. So we have $7,500 of trips, basically Travala credits. You could enter the raffle for free, but the more avatars you mint, the more basically the more raffle tickets you get. Yeah, there you go. And we're doing a giveaway too to our listeners. So look for details on social soon. We're going to be giving away three of these beautiful avatars to our community as well and appreciate your generosity there, Linus. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me here. Thanks a lot, Linus. Appreciate you joining us and we'll see you again soon. All right. See you guys. Thanks. Bye. All right. And our next segment here is going to be our shout out segment, which should be pretty fun. It's a kind of a it used to be new and we've been doing it for a few months now. And it's always fun to hear what people bring up here. We'd like to hand it over to you, Jennifer, to get a little bit of a shout out to anybody that you'd like or any projects or folks. What do you have in mind? Yeah, I have three. We just did a Twitter space last week and like 930 people showed up. And it was because we had these three incredible creators. One is, I don't want to dox him, so I'll say hashtag at Lurk Loves You behind Goblin Town and similar. He's amazing. He came on and was talking about his latest drop, which is some of the most beautiful like Dolly-esque art I've seen in a while. On the same show, we had Emily Lazar with September Morning. It was incredible. We gave away one of her NFTs as well. And then we had Lucky Ducky. We had a clean sweep of like three like Web3 rock stars. Lucky Ducky is now doing secondary on entertainment. You can buy their ducks. <laughs> and I just wanted to shout out all of them because before them, we'd had like maybe 300 mats in our Twitter spaces. And then it blew up. I think it's over a thousand views at this point for that. Perfect. And Lucky Ducky's been on the program. So that's nice. People can check out a previous episode. Search that in, in your podcast player of choice. And we're also present at the Outer Edge event in Los Angeles. So um, we know them well. 
I think I met them there. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't realize that's how that happened. I thought it maybe been the reverse. Okay, cool. That's awesome. You know what? We're making deals. We're making relationships. Things are working. Okay, cool. Well, appreciate the shout out. And then we'll move into our outro here. So before we go, where can listeners go to learn more about you and your projects, Genevieve? Yeah, we'll check out entertainmentmint.com. And if you go to at entertainment co on any of our channels, could be TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you'll be able to see lots about us. I will shout out again, our Twitter spaces. They're every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. They are 90 minutes of awesomeness. Don't miss those if you like more collaborative social. Yeah, yeah. I've been on, I think, one or two as a guest and they're a lot of fun. Thank you. We think so too. <laughs> and then also before we wrap, I just want to mention we you have generously sponsoring a little bit of a giveaway for us featuring the Neon Pass NFT. So if you have anything else to say about that, you can. Otherwise, folks will hear about that on our socials as well. Anything else to say about that? It's a really fun NFT. We did a free mint last year and it sold out overnight. Actually, in a few hours, it was great. We only did about 5,000. So it's great. It's beta access. You get priority whitelist. And eventually, you'll be able to use it kind of similarly you would to a streamer to get access to viewing on our shows. So it's a really nice, fun pass to have. I'd say it's $36 value, but with the extra stuff like the beta and stuff, it might be more like 50, 60. Cool. Well, thank you so much. We have officially reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the Starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey also much better. I'll go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us, say something awesome, then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great Web3 content. And thanks for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. We understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own